0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number Stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jadikan. Well, uh how's it going? <laughs> Great. As good as it can be right now? <laughs> I believe so. Okay. Uh-huh. So we had some lovely patrons that contributed to our show this week. Thank you guys very much. We also had some people that upped their pledge donations, which is really sweet too. Just wanted to say we, we saw those and thank you very much. And this week, our new contributors are Joshua, Ingrid, Aaron, Haley, Joshua again. Josh, the two Joshuas this week, Samuel, Emily, Lucy, Colleen, Moranike, Nike, and that is it. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys. I just want to say that before we started recording the show, I was messing around with our recording equipment, trying to fix something, and I was asking Brendan to help me like test, do some test audio. And all he did was roast our show.
2: Oh my god! He
1: was like making fun of how we do the Patreon things, <laughs> and then he was like going like, "My name's Desi Jettikin. Cock, <laughs> come, pussy. You know what? I say more than that. <laughs> come on. Well, let's just wait till the end of this episode, <laughs> okay. and then we'll reevaluate we'll everything. Okay.
2: We'll see how good that uh, imitation was. Look,
1: I'm very excited for the subject matter okay. this week.
2: Good. Well, I actually have a lot to get into today, so let's just kind of start it up. Uh, So this month, we're going to do a special sort of focus because Halloween is happening at the end of the month. Rachel is a really big horror movie fan, which I'm sure you know if you follow her on social media. So we're going to kind of focus on extra creepy stories and movies, like movies versus reality for Halloween. I think we're gonna even try to do our Patreon bonus content having that kind of spooky, ghosty Halloween vibe where we can. So it's gonna be an all fucking all all out Halloween creep fest. It's gonna
1: be a spooky as fuck month. Yeah.
2: Hello. So this week I'm going to cover what is probably the most famous haunted house. How? Oh my god. (laughs) Please just do this again. (laughs) What the fuck?
1: I don't even know what's
2: wrong with me. This week I will be covering probably the most famous haunted house of all time one that inspired the book by Jay Anson, as well as a ton more books and movies. And you already saw the title of this episode, so (laughs) duh, you know I'm talking about the Amityville Horror. Wow. Uh, Rachel acts (laughs) surprised. Very (laughs) convincing. So we're going to get into the haunting and the paranormal stuff and all of that kind of crap at the end. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. But first we're going to get into the real crime that sort of started it all and one that is the loose basis for Amityville to The Possession which we both watched this week and we're going to dish on later because it's fucking bonkers. It's
1: incredible.
2: Let's get started. The whole story basically starts with the murder of six family members in the DeFeo family and the murder was committed by the oldest son, Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr, and I'm going to call him Butch <laughs> going forward because Fabulous. it's hilarious. Yeah. The patriarch of this family was named Ronald Big Ronnie DeFeo Sr. I guess at some point they called him Big Ronnie and him Little Ronnie, but he got really fat, so they probably changed it to Butch. I'll get into that later. Uh, He was born in 1930, and in case you didn't know that this family was Italian, his parents' names were Rocco and Antoinette. Hell yeah. (laughs) The website I got this background info on, um, described him when he was younger as being slender, handsome, and had a powerful gaze reminiscent of Rudolph Valentino. Oh. I have to say, I find this hard to believe. <laughs> I've only seen pictures of Ronnie when he was older, uh, but he's not that. Hot. I don't. I don't know. Maybe. I. I don't know. Because of that good looks, he was able to land Louise Brigante, who wanted to be a model and was at some point in her young life attracted or had, like, the attention of some some sort of more well-known men, including Mel Torme, he's not that hot. No. So, I mean, she's kind of getting the bottom of the barrel. It's not like she's hooking up with, uh, you know, Frank Sinatra. Or <laughs> right. Or any of those good right. things. But I guess still, he could probably still get some honeys. Believe me, <laughs> that's a word I say all the time for hot women. <laughs> <laughs> the two got married eventually, and Louise's parents actually cut ties with them for a bit. I read on a Reddit board about this case that they were sort of both associated with rival mafia families. So this was kind of like a Romeo and Juliet situation. The parents were not happy that they got together. On September 26, 1951, their first son, Ronald Joseph DeFeo Jr., was born. Ronald Sr. eventually began working for Louise's dad at his Brooklyn Buick dealership. And Ron Sr., the other thing you need to know about him is he is quite an abusive man, he regularly begins beating the shit out of his wife, Louise, and he was particularly hard on Butch, who was, he, I think he ga- gave the name Butch to his son, who was kind of a weak and, like, ineffectual, like, you know, like a little boy. Yeah. I, I hate to describe him that way, uh, but I think it was kind of a sarcastic thing. Oh, like you're Like, so how you would butch. call, like, um, a fat guy tiny, or
1: whatever, like. Or, like, a little tiny dog, like, Yeah,
2: because, I mean, he was abusive to his son. Right, um, Louise's brother, Michael Bergante Jr., later testified at DeFeo's trial about an incident he witnessed when Butch was just two years old. Uh, this is a quote. We were all sitting down in the basement watching TV, and I don't know, the boy had done something. All of a sudden, he stood up, the father, and just pushed the boy this way into the wall. The boy banged his head or part of his shoulder or something. So, he- hello, like head injury, right? right? To make matters worse for Butch, at least he was also getting it at school as well. Since, as I said before, he was kind of like wearing the husky, husky f- Sears Aww. for husky boys kind of uh, set. He was taunted with names like the Blob, Bucky Beaver, and Pork Chop. Uh, <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <laughs>
1: Bucky Beaver. I mean, we
2: know that he's a murderer, so it's okay to laugh at him being called Pork Chop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, pork chop is kind of a... That's kind of <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like it. I, I wouldn't be mad if someone called me pork chop, <laughs> quite honestly. Noted. By the age of 12, he had reached 250 pounds. So he was quite overweight. Right. I mean, he maxed out at 5'8 at as an adult. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't like he was 6'5 <laughs> when he was 12 or something. He was, you know, smaller and uh, quite overweight.
1: Well, remember Fatty Arbuckle's dad used to make fun of him for his weight, too. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. It's such an abusive tactic. It, It really is. In
2: 1956, Louise gave birth to daughter Dawn. A few years later, in 1961, they had Allison. And then in 1962, they had their son, Mark. After Mark was born, Louise actually got fed up with her husband. And most of the reports I say... I read said that she left him for no reason, but I'm guessing it was getting punched all the time. Like, I don't think you're in an abusive relationship like that. And it's like a shock when you try to get out. To get his wife back, Ronnie actually decided to write a song for her. And this is kind of an insane little anecdote. He expressed his love for her in a song called The Real Thing. And in 1963, Joe Williams, who is a pretty well-known singer, recorded the song on his album, One is the Lonesome Number. And you can find the song online and listen to it. I mean, it sounds very like crooner type, yeah. standard type song. It's nothing special. But that's kind of a crazy story. But
1: I guess it won her back because she came back. Hey, how about instead of writing me a song, you just stop punching <laughs> me?
2: You know what? I have very small demands <laughs> in a relationship. <laughs> right. Not punching me is probably up there at number one. In 1965, they had their last child, and he is a boy named John. And it was at that point that the family left Brooklyn and purchased the home at 112 Ocean Boulevard in Amityville, Long Island. The home is pretty well known. I mean, I think most people have seen this house. It's um, a really nice house. I actually drove by it when I lived in Massapequa, which, oh. we, which we discussed in the Amy Fisher episode. Amityville is pretty much the next town over.
1: So I have a question about the house. Uh-huh. Is it the same house that they use in the movie? Or is it like the same looking house? It's
2: the same looking with house. With the weird It eyes? has the weird windows. Okay. Um, I don't know if it's changed since, but I think I saw a pretty recent picture and it still has those windows. It's a really nice house. It's uh, right on... Uh, I think it's a canal. It's, so it's like a waterfront property. Right. Uh, it has a pool. And it's a huge house. I mean, this is a family of seven. And, you know, obviously you need a huge house. Yeah. It also had like a huge boathouse down by the uh, dock to the canal. So they definitely moved on up. Like at the front yard, there was a sign about the house. I guess the house had a name. And the name of the house was High Hopes, <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> <It's> pretty ironic. <laughs> pretty ironic, unless your high hopes are for craziness and murder. <laughs> Then then it was very accurate. Right. So there was kind of always a mystery because this house was definitely out of Ronnie's price range. According you know, he was working at a Buick dealership. It's not exactly a highfalutin job. So I mean people speculate that his father-in-law, Michael Brigante Sr., actually helped them buy the house. I was talking to Rachel about this, I think before the show started. Uh, He also wanted to get these life-size portraits commissioned with his family. The father-in-law also picked up the tab for these, which were estimated to be $50,000. Wow. And this is in whatever, early 70s. Uh, So these are big oil paintings that they had lining their staircase. And there's pictures of them online, so we'll try to post those as well. Um, They took like a year to complete. So it was this totally thing that I I actually imagine him doing it thinking like, this is so classy. (laughs) You just know he thought that this was right. like the epitome of class. Right. Like I know he said it. There's no evidence of that, but, but he I definitely guarantee you. called
1: them "quote classy." Oh, at for one sure. Point. There's
2: no way he didn't think that this was classy. <laughs> <laughs> so, despite the perfect home and the the port <laughs> the portraits <laughs> hanging in the <laughs> the stairwell, they were still a very dysfunctional family. Ronnie had not at all stopped being an abusive piece of shit. And Butch continued to be unpopular at school and was, you know, continuing to be bullied there. Of course, his dad would give him advice on how to deal with bullies, and that was to fight back and, you know, stop being a pussy, fight back, like, don't let these people do this to you. Um, unfortunately uh, for Ronnie Sr., Butch took his advice, but that that ended up being fighting back to his biggest bully, which was his dad. Right. And as he grew older and became bigger and stronger, he started becoming more physical when he would fight his dad. I mean, that's a very classic tale. You bully someone who's smaller than you, and then the first time they punch you back, you're like, okay, (laughs) we're done with this game. Right. Right. But, I mean, the dad did fight back because he's a piece of shit. These arguments would regularly turn into fistfights at this point. His abuse of Louise was also still continuing. A family friend actually had stopped by at some point to get a car part. The family was having dinner at the table, Um, The kids were acting up, and the mom was screaming at them to shut up. Uh, The dad was yelling at her to shut up. So it was like this complete fucking nightmare situation. At some point, she starts carrying on and yelling, and she's climbing down the basement stairs with a laundry basket in her hand. And the father goes up to her, punches her in the face, and slams the door with her down in in the basement stairwell. Jesus, Uh, And the dad, the friend who was there said that the elder DeFeo looked at me and said, now we can eat in peace. So this is like a nightmare home. Uh, There's a bad energy at this home, regardless of whether or not you believe in demons and spirits and ghosts. Right. As DeFeo, uh, Butch, sorry, uh, started getting more aggressive and becoming more angry. Instead of disciplining him in any way they kind of went the alternate route that people with a little bit of money usually do they start buying him whatever they want whatever he wants okay. they get him a car they get him a motorboat they're they're throwing cash at him for whatever he wants he starts becoming a heavy drinker and a drug user he starts using heroin lsd um, speed and he does start losing weight actually because of well, the speed. speed yeah yeah but his violent temper uh, obviously keeps getting worse <laughs> because drug use usually doesn't calm that down You know, this is like a perfect storm. And it gets even worse because he also starts getting interested in guns and starts collecting guns at this point. So not a great combo. Yikes. Uh, When he turns 18, Butch actually gets a job at his grandpa's Buick dealership. And he's the classic rich kid at work. He basically shows up and gets a paycheck. He does jack shit. Mm -hmm. I'm sure everyone hates fucking guts. You have to hear Butch DeFeo's voice, by the way. (laughs) What (laughs) does it sound like? You got to talk about. <laughs> I mean, it is like there's a last podcast episode on Amityville Horror and Henry does an imitation oh. of Butch. And when you're hearing it, you're like this camp. No one talks like this. And then I watched several interviews with him because he's interviewed in prison. Butch. he sounds exactly like Henry's uh, imitation of him. And look, like, I, it is dead on. I
1: know Henry Zabrowski's Brooklyn accent I know what it sounds like right and it's pretty cartoonish
2: it's pretty cartoonish but DeFeo is cartoonish and so he has he really a bit of a high-pitched like tone to it right so when you hear him talk I mean you're you're listening to this guy talk about a brutal murder and you're cracking up you're like <laughs> this can't be fucking
1: real well <laughs> like, it's sort of like when it's insane it's sort of like when we were watching the movie last night Brendan and I were laughing our asses off during the whole movie even though it's this like horrific subject right like this horrific content but it, the way it's portrayed in the movie is like slapstick. It's comical. I mean, it's it's so over the top.
2: About a, a year before the murders, a fight broke out between mom and dad. And this was the first time things really escalated to like next level. Butch at that point, while they're in the middle of a fight, he goes and grabs a 12 gauge shotgun from his room, loads a shell into the chamber and comes downstairs without even saying anything to them they're like in the middle of fighting and i think this might be portrayed in the movie yes he puts the gun up to the barrel of his dad's head and says leave that woman alone i'm gonna kill you you fat fuck this is it he pulls the trigger and the gun does not go off the dad actually freezes in place and he's fucking freaked out because he basically would be dead right now but the gun didn't go off butch just kind of walks out of the room as if that's the end of it like as if nothing happened and things just kind of quietly dissipate at that moment because obviously it's fucking freaky now despite the fact that ron ronald senior is totally retro toxic male energy right (laughs) like example of all time butch's behavior at this point and his anger are so noticeable that even ron senior is like shit we we need to do something about down i'm just an average fucking abuser (laughs) like this is next level shit so they take butch to a psychiatrist And needless to say, Butch is not very receptive to getting help to deal with his anger. The therapy session goes nowhere. He's just very passive aggressive with her and whatever, basically mocks the attempt to kind of deal with his um, whatever is going on with him. The psychiatrist actually tells the parents after the appointment that Butch will one day kill them all and that he must be hospitalized the dad responds with laughter, saying the psychiatrist doesn't know what they're talking about, but the mom actually cries. Like, so there's a different, I mean, that kind of makes sense to me.
1: Well, guess who had the last laugh? Yeah. <laughs> Who's laughing now? I told you.
2: Yeah. That would be great if that was her last word. <laughs> 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 told you so. <laughs> I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay, that's when I do it. I'm always like, when do I say I'm sorry after everything? Okay, I got it. Now I see you guys, you're right. I mean, DeFeo himself, I mean, Butch himself, actually tells his family that one day he will kill them. And he does a few things to try to stop it. He moves out of his parents' house a few months or within the year before the killings happen into a girlfriend's house because of that fear that he might actually kill them one day. But what happens, and this is like very classic abuser behavior, Mm -hmm. the dad convinces him to move back into the house and gives him money and like promises from all these things. It'll be different this time. Yeah, and this is like I mean at this point he's 23 years old. So this is not like a little kid here. Right. So the dad gets him back into the house, which is ends up being a tragic mistake. I mean, for obvious reasons. In October of 1974, and this is the month before the murders happen. There is like, one final really huge fight between the dad and the son, and that's related to the job at the Buick dealership, which I love. The Buick dealership is so <laughs> 70s to me. It's like this story is, like, so 70s. Totally. He – so despite having this cush job, Butch is still not satisfied with how much money he's getting or any of that. So he creates, like, a little scheme. He is um, tasked with going to make a deposit at the bank with, like, The week's receipts, so it's like cash and checks that he's going to go deposit in their account at the bank. He hooks up with a friend to rob him as he's doing this deposit, and then they're going to split the proceeds. Now, initially, the dad buys the story, and he's actually furious with the person who put his son in this dangerous position to Mm -hmm. go whatever. Uh, But he starts to notice that the son is not cooperating with the investigation, and he eventually figures out that the son fucking did it yeah so he doesn't turn him in or anything they have a huge blowout fight in the dealership uh the father says to the son you've got the devil on your back and butch says to him once again you fat prick i'll kill you (laughs) sorry i'm just quoting these things i'm not saying this language (laughs) and then he leaves the scene the fight doesn't come to blows that time but Within a few weeks, uh, the dad will be dead. So it does come to blows eventually. (laughs) So early in the morning hours of Wednesday, November 14th, 1974, while the entire DeFeo family is sleeping, Butch takes out a thirty-five caliber Marlin rifle that he had been keeping in his closet. He goes to his parents' room. He watches them sleep. And then he begins shooting. The first shot rips through his father's back, uh, tears through his kidney and exits out through his chest. Uh, He fires one more shot into his dad, which also hits him in the back and kind of uh, severs his spine and then somehow gets lodged in his neck, so I guess the angle. At this point, his mom does wake up, and she's literally up for a few seconds before the son fires two shots into her. The bullets shatter her rib cage, collapse her lung, um, and she pretty much just lays dying in her own blood, like drowning in her own blood. So... Next, he goes and he shoots his two younger brothers, John and Mark. He enters the room and basically shoots them while they're supposedly sleeping in bed. At that point, he goes to his sister's room, Dawn and Allison. And I read somewhere that Allison actually either comes out of the room and he tells her to go back to bed. Like, she's like, is everything okay? But I only saw that in a few reports. But she does wake up like the only two people supposedly who were awake when they got shot are Allison and the mom. Everyone else was shot sleeping. And I guess there's a way to tell that. I don't know how he shoots both of his sister and he actually shoots Dawn like in the face. Whoa. So there seems to be a little more hostility there. So and this all happens about 3 a.m., which is the devils or the witching hour. And that will come into play, (laughs) obviously, later when people at all you know crazy about the paranormal stuff that had happened then right okay I mean I guess it is kind of creepy so this is within 15 minutes he's brutally murdered all of his family the whole time supposedly their dog whose name was Shaggy also very (laughs) savage. I'm sorry but could you come on dude
1: Shaggy come on he's
2: supposedly tied up by the boathouse and he had been barking the whole time but none of the neighbors were woken up or suspicious or They were just like, like that, that
1: fucking dog.
2: Right. I'm imagining they were used to hearing some violent kind of stuff coming from that yeah. house, maybe. At this point, he kind of starts working on what his alibi is. He, he is at the house. He showers. He trims his beers. He gets dressed as if he's going to work at the dealership. He collects all the bloody clothing that he was wearing, the rifle that he used. He drives into Brooklyn, and disposes of all of that clothing and um, the rifle, and then he shows up at work at 6 a.m. He doesn't stay at work very long, but he is already starting to call people, being like, hey, I called my house, and no one's answering. So he does this with numerous people, mentioning it to his girlfriend at the time, to his friend, Henry, like oh I've been calling my mom all day like that's his brilliant alibi he's trying like, to play yeah. this off he's like trying he to play this it. up like he didn't do it but it's obviously so over the top because he probably never gave a shit <laughs> that he wasn't able to reach anybody so at some point he's talking to his friend Bobby who like it's like kind of like one of those things hey what are you doing later oh I'm going to Henry's bar which was a local bar that's pretty much like a few blocks from the house um, Butch shows up at Henry's around six p.m. and he's from the beginning, agitated, he's talking to his friends. He's wondering out loud to people like, "What's going on at that house? What's wrong? Like, like, where are my parents? Why aren't they answering my calls? Like, doing all this bullshit." Finally, he's like, "I gotta go check on what's going on." <laughs> that house. Suddenly,
1: he's a model son,
2: <laughs> right? And it's like, "Well, wouldn't you go there before you went to the bar?" Like, but he's clearly trying to establish this alibi, right? Right. So he leaves his friends at the bar, and then like. 30 minutes later, he runs back into the bar, opens the door to the bar, and he screams, Bobby, you got to help me. And Bobby's like, what's the matter? Someone shot my mom and father. Bobby says, I've seen two things that he said. Are you sure? Maybe they're just sleeping. What? (laughs) All the characters in this are like, I like how I'm getting my Long Island accent. Like, are you sure? (laughs) Yeah, I saw them up there. And so he gets all of his friends, there's like four of them total, Drive and he has a blue Buick and they drive back to the house, which as I said before is only a few blocks away. <laughs> so they're all getting into this car, driving a few blocks to the house. Bobby calls the Suffolk County the police and that call was logged at 6:35 p.m. So it's like pretty much right when they get there. They discover four bodies in the DeFeo house. Amity cops, Amityville cops are on the scene within a couple of minutes. And then they go into the house and they realize, well, there's actually six bodies. Uh, Bobby had missed two of them, and as I mentioned before, it's the whole family. Uh, the parents are only forty three and forty two at this wow. time. They're really young. Yeah. They had they had Butch when they were young. Mark was eleven. John was nine years old. Don was eighteen, and Allison was thirteen. So these are young kids. Yeah. Uh, a physician's assistant who worked for the Suffolk County Medical Medical Examiner's Office said about the scene, and this is someone who has done thousands of these, normally in scenes like this where people die so violently, you'll see blood splattered everywhere. Here the blood was mostly confined to the beds the victims were on. Also, all of the bodies were found in the same position lying face down. That's very unusual. Did he move the bodies? That's like one of the biggest mysteries as far as how this happened, and I'll get into some of the speculation about that later. Because it is very unusual that no one woke up. It's one of the loudest guns, apparently, like, on the market. I don't know a ton about guns. But you said
1: some of the people allegedly woke up. but Right.
2: But they didn't wake up like, oh, shit, they're shooting dad. And I don't know that they woke up because they thought they heard gunshot or were scared. They just woke up. I don't know. Like, the fact that the kids didn't all wake up the minute the first shot went off is crazy to me. Uh, And also the fact that they all sleep on their stomachs. Yeah. Yeah. Cause all of them,
1: there was no sign of a struggle is what you're saying. Well,
2: there was no sign of the struggle. I did see like one thing on Reddit that said that they were drugged, but then I saw more things that said they tested them and they were not drugged in yeah. any way. So, but it is unusual that everyone slept on their stomach. Yeah. I don't, do you sleep on your stomach? No. No, I don't either. I kind of sleep on my side. On my side. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so case closed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just saying.
2: It is unusual. So initially, Butch is very cooperative with the police, and they're kind of not treating him like a suspect at this point. They're, what? He's uh, really distraught, and he immediately uh, presents a theory of who might have done it to the police. And that theory is that a man named Louis Filani, who was like a mob contract killer uh, who had a falling out with Butch's dad at some point, is probably the one responsible for this And based on, like, the family and I think the cops at the time, that seemed like a very likely thing. Because it seemed like, why would you kill this whole family in this fashion? So, yeah, they kind of bought it initially. They actually took him to the police headquarters, in fact, to, like, protect him. Because they're like, well, they're going to come after Butch soon. Like, why not? So... Butch gives a written statement. In this statement, he claims that he was home the night before. He stayed up till 2 a.m. He was watching a movie called Castle Keep on TV, and I'll get into that movie a bit later. Uh, At 4 a.m., he walked past the bedrooms and the bathrooms. He said he saw his brother's wheelchair in the front of the door of his bedroom. His brother had a wheelchair because he had a football injury. Mm -hmm. He wasn't um, permanently in that, but it was like a temporary injury, so that's why the wheelchair was there. He also claimed that he heard the toilet flush. So he's setting up that they all were alive when I left, like at 4 a.m. to go to work at 6 a.m.
1: So he's claiming that these murders happened after, after he left. After he left. Right.
2: And he said because he couldn't go back to sleep, that's why he decided to go into work early. But this is not a hardworking fella. <laughs> Can you, I mean, I would imagine he'd probably go drink at a bar or something. Hey, they're open up again at 6. They send one detective back to the house to kind of give it a a once over, even though it had already been thoroughly searched. And by the way, there's like some really cool footage of like local news reports when this story just broke Mm -hmm. and you could see like police looking in the pool and like, you know what I mean? It's kind of creepy to see. So they send a detective back to the house to kind of just give it a second look to make sure they got everything. And it's this detective, while he's making that last sweep, he notices two boxes that are empty, leaning against a wall by a radiator in his in Butch's room. The printing on the box says um, .22 caliber Marlin, and the other one said .35 caliber Marlin carbine. So this detective brings those boxes back. At this point, they don't know what gun killed the, peop- um, the victims. But a few hours later, they get back some ballistic reports that say the bullets had been fired from a 35 caliber ri- rifle. So that's their first, like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> he has it's, empty boxes for the guns that killed his uh, family. That feels like a
1: really look, dumb criminal I'm
2: know. <laughs> yeah, because he threw all this shit out. <laughs> like, look, we're going to find out that DeFeo is not the brightest light bulb in the bunch. Is that a, is that a <laughs> saying? <laughs> <laughs> to kind of, like, bolster everything, they talk to the guy, Bobby, whose last name is Kelsky, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. Who was at the bar with him and went back to the house. And it's there that they through that sort of questioning, they discover that Butch is a gun fanatic. Um, They find out about him staging the robbery from uh, the the last month. And they begin to to realize that this guy is like a little shady. At that point, the detectives, I think Butch was sleeping at this point, like they let him sleep to keep him safe. At this point, they wake him up and they read him as rights and he's like immediately belligerent with them they tell him that they have ballistics that they have hard evidence showing that he has a connection to these murders he uh is maintaining his innocence and he screams at them i'm trying to help you guys <laughs> <laughs> you fucking assholes like i love people who are guilty who get angry like, right it's like one of my favorite i think at some point they let butch go back to sleep before they question him they're gonna begin this interrogation the next morning So he sleeps, and then they bring in a homicide detective named Dennis Rafferty, and he's supposedly the best interrogator in the department. He just basically keeps pointing, poking holes and inconsistencies in everything that Butch has said. And Butch keeps changing his story a million times, too. Like, I don't think he's smart enough to keep it together. I don't think he had a well-thought-out plan. This is
1: not a very slick murder plan. No. I'm sorry.
2: Right. So he's crying, and he's bringing up all these things. Um, at some point, like he's talking about this Fellini guy. At some point, he even says something like, "Like maybe I was there because he forced me to." Like he keeps trying to be like, "Well, maybe I was there, but he was forcing <laughs> me." And he's just a mess. At some point, he uh, puts his head down on the table, and this detective kind of senses that he just can't. He doesn't have have it in him to keep this up anymore. So he says to him, "Butch, tell me what happened." And Butch says. It all started so fast. (laughs) Once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. So that's where he kind of finally breaks. Okay. And he starts telling. I'm sorry. That's (laughs)
1: the excuse you use when you finish an entire bag of potato chips. (laughs) That's what
2: I was going to say. Isn't that the Pringles commercial? (laughs) Or like, what is it? Lays? Once you pop, you you can't can't stop. stop. That's Pringles. I couldn't stop. It just went so fast. (laughs) DeFeo begins confessing what really happened. He said he was watching this war movie called Castle Keep. And I'm going to get more into that later, as I said before. He fell asleep in the den, and when he woke up at 2 or 3 in the morning, he immediately went to his room, loaded his gun, and went to his father and mother's room and shot them, and then he sh- proceeded to shoot the rest of his family. He said that the uh, he rec- only thing he really recalls is that the barrel of the gun was hot. Throughout it all, he said his dog was barking, and DeFeo, who actually hated the dog, says that, um, I think he said this later at the trial, because he is so dumb, he testifies in his own defense. Okay, sorry. (laughs) I mean, that's just, so he says this at the trial. The fucking dog was screaming while this was going on. The dog was screaming. What? (laughs) I like how he's mad at the dog. It's like that guy. Shaggy. Shut the fuck up, Shaggy. Shaggy's like, ooh.
1: Yeah.
2: Ooh, (laughs) Shaggy.
1: In my movie version of this event, it would pan to Shaggy, like a close-up on Shaggy while he's trying to blame his dog.
2: Wait, did I mention that the dog um, just because I need to make sure every 70s detail is Caught call- the dog was a sheepdog.
1: That's what I pictured. That's exactly Right? What I like pictured. the gray
2: and white sheepdog. Yeah. There was like movies with that dog. The shaggy dog. Like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I still will mock the DeFeo Butch DeFeo stupidity even though I'm very stupid also. We all know this. Wink. Uh, <laughs> so he goes on to like Slam yes. his family more. <laughs> these these quotes are insane. So this is like less than like 24 hours after he's murdered his whole family. Here's like some of the things he says about him, his family. He supposedly had like a great relationship with his mom even though they had issues. And just this because, is in the
1: interrogation room he's talking about Yes, this about is in family. the
2: interrogation okay. room. So he's slamming his family basically as he confesses to murdering them. So uh, one of the questions the detective asked him was um why you didn't eat dinner with the family the night before uh, the killings and this is a direct quote my mother was a lousy cook she cooked up some brown shit in a bowl it looked (laughs) like shit and it smelled like shit if you had to eat it it would taste like shit (laughs) (laughs) that's an insane thing to say about your mother you just murdered he also goes on to slam his brothers who were little children yeah My brother's is a couple of fucking pigs. I often use the same bathroom they used on the second floor. And I go in there and sometimes there is toilet paper hanging out of the bowl. Sometimes there is shit in the bowl and no toilet paper. The fucking pigs don't even wipe their asses. A couple of times there was even shit on the back of the seat. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I mean, we can't have an episode where we don't talk about shit. No. I mean, it's it's just... Uh, he also slams his sister Dawn and I can hardly say anything that he says. He says that that fat, fat fuck Dawn, Dawn is into N word. He says N word music and he says this over and over and over again, all fucking day and night. I can't even tell her to turn it down because if I tell her to turn it down, I get my ass kicked and the detectives asked by who he says, my father, I mean, these people, They're
1: garbage people.
2: Well, I'm not the the kids or the mom. The kids are the mom. I think, but the the father and son, it's like if only they could have just had like um, the end of reservoir dogs between each other. Like, I mean, these two people are horrible people. They're awful. And they all, both of them ruined all of these lives. Like, he is not a sympathetic victim at all, even though he did face abuse, in my opinion. So, as I said before, the trial was a sideshow. But the basic gist of the trial is, um, and this happened about a year, in October 1975, so almost a year after the murders happened, there wasn't like an idea of whether this guy did or not. He basically confessed to it. It was more about whether or not he was legally insane. Yes. So of course, he, he testifies in his own defense, and he looks kind of insane, but he's definitely playing it up at this point. The real sort of meat of the testimony was between... Opposing psychologist who both kind of examined him and gave yeah. their opinion. The prosecution's psychologist was named Dr. Harold Zolan, and he interviewed Butch, and he decided that he was not like mentally not responsible or like criminally insane, where he wouldn't be responsible for the murders. He said that he basically has an antisocial personality people who have a code of their own, people who are grossly selfish and callous, who are extremely egotistical, who have no capacity to experience or to feel guilt. Their main purpose in life is self-gratification, and they are both passive and aggressive. He said that DeFeo developed into a very aggressive individual and that killing his father and family was a way of proving how big and aggressive he was after this lifetime of abuse. He didn't see any um, signs of psychosis. He said that DeFeo was responsible for his acts the defense attorney is a man named Daniel Schwartz, and he saw it, obviously, completely differently. <laughs> That's why he was hired by the defense. He said that DeFeo did not know right from wrong when he committed the murders, and he said that he was terrified as his fa- of his father. As wild as he could be with others, he could not respond in that kind to his father, but the anger had to go somewhere. He came out, among other ways, at most of his teachers and school authorities, who for many children quite naturally started, starred as parent- parental figures. So he's basically saying he would never have attacked his dad who had this love-hate relationship. He took it out. The anger he had for his dad, he would take out on other people. So another aspect of the defense that comes up at this point is that DeFeo is starting to claim that the reason he killed his family was that he heard them plotting to kill him earlier that evening. So that this was basically an act of self-defense. The war movie that I mentioned earlier called Castle Keep has kind of like a similar theme to that. It's about a group of American soldiers who are defending a castle filled with precious art, but in the end, they are all killed. Dr. Schwartz testified that DeFeo told him he was moved by the violence in the film. There was a significant theme in the picture, the doctor said, of some soldiers who have renounced violence and who walk through this town in Europe preaching religious nonviolence, but to no avail. Religion, peacefulness has no effect in this movie. The violence will win out. And I think the message that this sent the defendant was that nothing was going to prevent this final showdown. So he's kind of basically saying this movie was like, okay, you can be nice and good and da 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 It's not going to ever work. This violence will always win out. The jury's first vote came back 10 to 2, and the two told-outs were basically uncertain about whether or not he was mentally fit. They re-reviewed transcripts of his testimony, and then... The verdict came back 12-0, and he was finally uh, found guilty on six counts of second-degree murder. Two weeks later, he was sentenced to 25 years to life on all six counts, and he is still in Sullivan Correctional uh, Facility in New York. He has lost every single appeal and request to a parole board that he's uh, attempted to get out. DeFeo did not actually react to his sentence when it happened. He was sort of emotionless. He said, my feelings went away a long time ago. Wow. Um, uh, so that's the end of that story. So I'm going to get into a little bit of the controversies about the murders now. <clears throat> As I mentioned before, most of it is related to the fact that they were all on their stomachs and that no one woke up during this murder. Even in the neighbors didn't hear these loud gunshots because he didn't use a silencer on this gun. So there's no reason it wouldn't be this massive explosion that happened eight times right so there's that and then there's also DeFeo who has since he was found guilty has given like I don't know like nine to eleven different versions of various other possibilities of what has happened the most common one is that it was actually his sister Dawn who murdered his parents and he took the rap for it yeah and part of I mean, there's one theory that he took the rap for because his dad, his uh, grandfather was in the mob and he's like, you take the rap for your sister or you're going to pay. And he was worried like his, his uncle was a capo. Like there's all this kind of mob related things, why he did it. Like, right. So, uh, but there's no evidence of that other than, um, Butch's stories. So let me get into this, uh, Dawn theory that he's peddling and there's been multiple versions of the Dawn one alone. But this one I like because there's a Florida detail. <laughs>
1: Sorry. Hell yeah. Hell
2: yeah. And perhaps the most Dawn thing ever. She supposedly got mad with her father because he refused to let her move to Florida with her boyfriend. <laughs> Isn't that so, Dawn? Oh. Listen, I love the name Dawn. I like do too. I can't even deal. Like I love it. One time I met someone who had twin sisters named Dawn and Donna, and I almost lost my shit because <laughs> I was like, What? What? How does your <laughs> I was like, everyone's lost. everyone had to tell me to shut up because I was like, no, I need to know everything about why your mom named twins Dawn and Donna.
1: Here's the thing about that. It's insane if it's a boy and a girl named Dawn and Donna, but it's extra insane. The <laughs> fact that you're like, I'm just going to add an A to this one.
2: Dawn and Donna, And I had to say it like, Donna Dawn, and Donna. I was like, I will watch a whole show based on their lives. I, need I will to know too. everything about Dawn and Donna. Okay. Okay, so Dawn is pissed at her dad, and she approaches Butch about killing her parents. Uh, according to Butch, he initially refused, but then apparently no, they... No, Dawn, that's wrong. <laughs> Dawn, murder is wrong. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And then he has, like, a drug-alcohol-fueled day, and then he's like, you know what? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so there's a few versions, and, and one of them, they two of Dawn's friends come and help the two siblings murder their parents. According to this story, they go in around 1 a.m. on the night that the murders happened. They kill the parents. One of the friends runs out of the house and Don chases after, or no, Butch chases after him. While he's gone, Don kills the siblings. And they had agreed that they would save the siblings and and take them to the grandma's house in Brooklyn or something like that.
1: So did he walk back in and So he walks back in and
2: Don had killed the siblings and he's pissed. So he confronts her, uh, they they wrestle with a gun, he eventually gets the gun, he slams John against the bed, uh, apparently she gets knocked out from this, and as she's lying there unconscious, he uh, places the rifle in her head and fires at, uh, the gun. So obviously, I mean, he's making himself look like the hero in right. this in a way. Right. Because one of the things you will find when you watch some of these interviews, he definitely has some guilt about the fact that he killed the siblings.
1: Right. So he tries to make sense of it. I think he's
2: trying to make sense of. I didn't do that part. She right. fucking did that part. Like, right. I killed my parents, but anyone can understand that. Right. There's a book called The Night of the De- The Night the DeFeos Died, and that's written by a man named Rick Asana. He interviewed um, Butch in November 30th on November 30th of 2000, and that's where the story kind of came out. But then after the fact, Butch denied that he said this. So I don't know, like. I mean, it's not a true story regardless <laughs> of where it came but from. But there
1: is footage of Butch saying this.
2: He has said other versions. So I'm not quite sure if they had a falling out and he wanted money because Butch is just a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Like, so he, said, he has said versions of this, so I don't know what his problem is with mm-hmm. it. Maybe he just didn't want the guy to, get to make money off of it.
0: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com.
2: So let's get to what happened after the murders. Okay. In December of 1975, so this is 13 months after the killings and a few months after Butch has been convicted of the murders, George and Kathy Lutz, their three children, and their dog move into 112 Ocean Drive. What kind of dog is this? They did actually say, but I didn't write it down. Damn it. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm very, very bad. They're only there for 28 days, by the way. So uh, and obviously, if you know the story, and you know, the movie, they claim that they were terrorized by paranormal activity and ghosts and demons. They got a deal on the house that they purchased for $80,000. And they knew about the murders when they Purchase the house. I mean, I think you have to tell. I don't know if that was the case then, but now I think you have to tell if there's been a murder in mm-hmm. a house within a certain time period. But they knew about it, and I think they had like a family meeting, <laughs> and they decided, <laughs> right? Gather around kids. Guys, pow what out. do you guys think? Is that going to be scary for you? So they actually even went so far as to paying $400 extra to keep all of the DeFeo furniture. What? Why, why would you say that? Me?
1: Why would you do that?
2: Do they keep the portraits? That's what I need to know. <laughs> Yeah, so they, they got a deal, like, for $400, they kept all of the furniture. No. Which seems extra insane to me. Now, according to them, they did have the house blessed, so they brought in Father Ralph Pecoraro to Catholic sage it, whatever that is. That's, <laughs> like, where they bring
1: that little ball in with the incense. Right. So
2: when he arrives to the house to bless the house, Kathy and George are upstairs unpacking their, you know, unpacking their stuff. And this is December 18th, 1975. He has that little ball, Rachel, that's <laughs> filled with holy water, I guess. And they kind of like shake it about. Sorry. <laughs> it's like, it's the latest dance craze. <laughs> so he's praying and shaking his little ball. And while he's doing this, a really deep sort of manly sounding voice says, get out. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's in the movie. Right? That's also in the Simpsons parody. Oh, is that. it? Okay, yes. great. This guy apparently doesn't even tell George and Kathy that, which seems crazy to me. Like That
1: seems very unethical. It's like, well, maybe I didn't hear
2: it. If right? you're
1: there specifically as a priest to bless something and you hear a bellowing voice say, get out, that's like the first thing you tell them.
2: Right. So on December 24th, so this is like about a week later, he does call George Lutz and says, hey, maybe you guys should stay out of the second floor room <laughs> where he had heard that voice. That room was the former bedroom of Mark and John, The two little boys, Uh, and Kathy had planned on using that room for a sewing room. (laughs) Sorry, I mean, what better place to do crafts than with a demon possessed room? (laughs) So, according to the priest, though George did not hear him because the call was cut short by static. After this visit, apparently the priest developed a high fever and blisters on his hands in like the stigmata positions or whatever. At this point, George and Kathy hadn't experienced anything unusual in the house, but obviously that was about to change dra- dramatically. They, once they started discovering things, and I'm going to go through some of the things that are talked about in the book, they decided to do their own blessing of the house, and that was uh, January 8th, 1976. George took a silver crucifix. Uh, they both recited the Lord's Prayer. And while they're doing this in the living room, George heard a chorus of voices asking them, Will you stop?
1: Will you <laughs> stop? Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> sorry.
2: Look, you don't like my child chorus voice? Fuck you. Will you stop? Will you stop? Will you stop? It's the omen. First of all, I love that they did their own de facto, like their little
1: own, like right. <laughs> makeshift blessing. Like, how do you even? I just love. That I don't imagine the ghosts are like malicious. They're just like, that's really annoying. Can you keep it down? Yeah. Will you stop? <laughs> Will, you you stop? stop? <laughs> Will you stop?
2: Will you stop? Yeah. So, in mid January, so this is after that attempt failed, I guess they stopped. <laughs> <laughs> it was, that would end up being their final night in the house. Now, the has never said what happened that night, but there are rumors that George had been progressively getting more and more violent with his family so the speculation is that that night maybe he did something very violent uh towards his family and that was when they had to leave the house i I mean they get into things where they think he's being taken over by the spirit of ronald the the abusive dad or whatever they head out to kathy's mom's house which is in a nearby town um and they're like they're not like out of the house yet but like we need to figure out what's going on with this house before we go back uh, they claimed that whatever demonic entity was there followed them to Kathy's mom house, mom's house, and they mentioned that green, black slime followed them up the staircase oh, when they no. entered the house. So on January 14th, 1976, they all left Ocean, the 112 Ocean Avenue house. They left all of their possessions behind, and they sent a mover to basically remove them all the next day, and he said that nothing paranormal happened while he was there. Okay, so at some point the Lutzes are hooked up with um, an editor named Tam Mossman and she introduces them to an author named Jay Anson. They didn't work directly with him but they submitted 45 hours of tape recorded recollections of what had happened the 28 days that they were in the house and that was basically what was used for the basis of this book. Estimates of the book sales are around 10 million copies Um, From It has numerous editions. Obviously, we know that the movie came out based on the book. Anson is actually said to have based the title, The Amityville Horror, on the Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft. And some people also speculate that because The Exorcist had been released, like, I don't know, a few years earlier. 74, right? Yeah, it had kind of primed America to buy into this demonic possession. Like that was such a huge hit and like a cultural like yeah. touchstone that the Amityville horror story was instantly like, well of course this is what happens all the time. Like it might if like if that hadn't come out, people don't know if it would have taken off like it did, yeah. possibly. Which is an interesting uh, kind of thought. Here's some of the things that is discussed in the book, like the Lutzes talk about what had happened in this house. And some of them are better than others. I mean, there's all the typical shit like cabinets closing, mm-hmm. doors and windows opening and sliding off the, you know, whatever, that kind of stuff. So George claims that he would wake up around 3.15 every morning and would go check the boathouse. And as we know, that's when the DeFeos were killed, three around 3.15 a.m. in the morning. A very famous aspect of the original movie is that fly, the flies. The flies. So- That's something that they claim, that they were constantly plagued by a swarm of flies. And, like, obviously, some of you might know that Beelzebub is the lord of the flies. So there's that devilly connection as well. That's the fly imagery. Right. So, I mean, there was something really, honestly, like, of all the things, the flies disturbed me the most because I fucking hate flies. I cannot stand flies. If I have a big fat fly in my house, I can't go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Like, I hate fat flies because it's like, how you've lived too long. You've gotten obese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I hate when I have a fly in my house. It's They're so irritating. irritating. They're it's just irritating. like that buzzing. and You have to get up and, like, just fucking slam magazines around all and over your walls. <laughs>
1: And this is, like, in in the Amityville, the first movie, that was, like, a huge-ass cluster of flies, too, I remember. Oh, yeah,
2: it was excessive. And there's the scene with the priest, too, where he gets, like, attacked by right. the
1: swarm. Right, right. And part of you, I,
2: I have seen some people complain where they're, like, oh, flies aren't that, um, you know, they're not going to attack you. They're just flies. It's not, like, bees or wasps. But I disagree. <laughs> like, I would be disgusted. I would be freaked out by a cluster of flies because they're so gross to me, like, fucking hate flies damn it kathy used to have nightmares she would like have nightmares about the murders so she also like would start sleeping on her stomach and eventually all of their kids also started sleeping on their stomach so that's like whatever she also said she would feel this um sensation of being embraced in a loving manner which she thought was um the mom embracing her like mom's got to stick together i guess i don't know George at some point discovers a small hidden room behind a shelving in the basement and the walls were all painted red. The room is not in the blueprints of the house and that room became known as the Red Room. Their dog, Harry, refused to go into it and was always cowering as if it was like sensing something inside of it. Um, someone eventually, like paranormal people who come to the house after all of this, claim that it's the gates to hell. Uh, one thing I read, I don't really know, like, People claim that the dog committed suicide. (laughs) Wait, 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 what? Do dogs do that? Well, here's why I'm going to kind of be skeptical about it. I mean, it would certainly be sad, (laughs) but I feel like I've seen dogs do this kind of thing. He apparently was like tied up to a gate or something by the boathouse and tried to jump over and then hung himself. I don't know if it's true. It's just something I I saw on one of the um, message boards. So even if that happened, that's very sad. But I feel like I've seen dogs do that before. Like I remember having my friend's dog and I had like the, the leash onto the um, emergency brake while mm-hmm. he was in the car and the window was open and I think he had diarrhea and he jumped out the window. So the leash was on him and oh. so he was almost hanging, but I held him. I mean, it wasn't like a tragedy right. and then he shit like all over the street. So I was like, oh, he had diarrhea. <laughs> Fascinating story. I know. Uh, so I don't feel like. Even if that is true that right. the dog died that way, it's very possible it was just an accident right. of some sort. There's all these kind of things like cold spots in the house. There's always cold there's, spots. There's odors that people would smell, including perfume and excrement. But maybe that was just <laughs> the mom's cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Who knows? George claims that one time when he was tending a fire in the fireplace, a face of a demon was in the fire with half of his head blown off. Uh, this is... Probably my favorite one. The five-year-old daughter of the Lettses. Her name is Missy. Developed an imaginary friend named Jody, who was a demonic pig with red glowing eyes.
1: (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) what's up with all this pig stuff?
2: Well, pigs are devilly too, right? I
1: guess. I don't know know anything about the Christian or Catholic religions.
2: I mean, I just know what I've seen in like horror movies. (laughs) 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 That's my extent. (laughs) George also claims that he would hear a marching band. At certain times in the house. Now that's irritating. That's very irritating. That's a fucking shady ass poltergeist movie.
1: <laughs> that <laughs> like, is so
2: rude. It's very rude. He also said that he started feeling like he looked like Butch Defeo and he started drinking at the Witch's Brew, which was a bar where Butch used to
1: go. And it was called the Witch's <laughs> Brew. Whoa.
2: Kathy also would kind of get red welts all over her chest. And that she also claims to have levitated once while she was lying in bed. I think that might be in the movie. Honestly, I can't remember because I had seen it so long ago. I did start watching it this week. But like halfway through, I was like, oh, I can't take another fly swarm. It's like a really boring movie to me. I'm sorry if I haven't it. seen
1: it since I was a kid.
2: I mean, it's fine for what it is, I guess. But I definitely, it didn't like draw me in in any way. Like it just kind of becomes a bit repetitive at, at some point. The other thing is he claims that one time after it had snowed, he walked outside and he saw the cloven hoof prints of a, a pig. I'm sorry, <laughs> another pig. I don't know if it was his daughter's imaginary friend, pig Jody. Jody, Jody. the other two last things I'm going to bring up. He also claims that once he tripped over a four foot high, four foot high Chinese lion ornament that was in the living room, and he found bite marks on his ankle afterward. He said that he removed the lion some point from the living room and then he went back and it was there again. Uh, The other thing he said was that once he saw Kathy transform into an old woman of 90, the hair was wild, a shocking white, the face a mass of wrinkles and ugly lines and saliva was dripping from her toothless mouth.
1: These guys are just getting all of the cliche ways you can get haunted. Right.
2: Well, that's what I'm wondering. Are these the cliche ways now because of all these things they
1: said? Right. Because I don't
2: know what the history... I don't know. I feel like, for me, a lot of the movies about this are from the 70s, right? Like yeah. All of this sort of devilly witchcraft. There's so many uh-huh.
1: devily movies from the 70s. So
2: that's all the stuff that's kind of in the book. And obviously, there's a ton more. The, the book was a huge success. And movies and more books came out about it. And with that, people started accusing the Lutzes of being frauds. Uh, so one of the first people to actually do that was Butch DeFeo. And he accused his former defense attorney, a man named William Weber, of concocting the stories with the Lutzes to profit off of... To make books. Yeah, to make books. In a handwritten letter, Butch once wrote, Amityville was a hoax that Weber and the Lutzes started. Yes, to make money. It started as my trial was in progress. Now, he's not wrong about this, (laughs) despite being wrong about almost everything else. Weber, the lawyer, had tried to form a company with the Lutzes, And they were going to try to sell this book. At some point, the Lutzes hooked up with the writer Jay Anson and kind of left him out of this money-making scheme. So he started accusing them of being frauds, and they, in turn, sued Weber. The Lutzes sued Weber for, like, whatever, slander. I think he was also trying to make money off of their story, and he didn't have the rights, obviously. So he countersued the Lutzes for cutting him out of the deal with Anson, claiming that he he's the one who made up most of these stories. The judge who was in charge of this kind of duel, because both of the, the suits were kind of done together, I guess, because they were related. His name is Judge Weinstein, and he was kind of like a no-nonsense judge. At some point, he dismisses the the Lutzes case, but allowed Weber's counterclaim to go forward. He said, based on what I have heard, it appears to me that the large extent of the book is a work of fiction relying in a large part upon the suggestions of Mr. Weber. So he basically says, this guy's telling the truth. Now his um, suit is also eventually thrown out, but it obviously did a lot of damage because now there's like this public record that the Lutzes are full of shit. In a 1979 issue of People magazine, William Weber says, I know this bo- book is a hoax. We created this horror story over many bottles of wine.
1: Well, here's why I think it's a hoax. <laughs> and I'm the resident ghost believer on the show. I'm sorry. I totally believe in ghosts, but I don't believe in the Letses because I feel like they went overboard with the kinds of hauntings that they had. Right. They went way overboard. It's like, oh, we levitated, and there was green slime, and there was a fucking devil pig, and there was flies.
2: Did you mention the gate to hell?
1: <laughs> it was like they went too far. Right. They went too far. As I
2: mentioned before, a lot of paranormal investigators and ghost hunters came to the house to kind of do their own little, whatever, <laughs> investigations. Yes. Amongst those were the Warrens. Who are very famous. Oh, yes.
1: The Conjuring The Conjuring and
2: Annabelle. So they're like, I mean, gosh, they're like in so many movies. I
1: I saw the trailer for Annabelle when it came out, and I literally almost started crying at the end of the trailer. Really? Dolls scare the shit out of me. Yeah, they're scary.
2: So that's Ed and Lorraine Warren. They're very famous. Uh, They came into the house. They they kind of started the idea that Butch was uh, possessed when he did the killings. Really? Uh Uh-huh. They contacted his spirit during a seance. Can you explain seance. who the
1: Warrens are for people who don't know?
2: They're basically paranormal investigators, but they're probably the most famous of all time or like one of the most famous. They're a couple. Um, I think they have this, uh what is it called? Fuck. New England research of blah, blah blah. Like <laughs> they have a big institute in, yeah. in New England. Although I think One of them might be dead now. For
1: supernatural shit. For
2: supernatural shit. So they're always... If you have a haunting at your house, you would call the Warrens to come and figure out what the fuck's going on and how to stop it from happening. If you have seen any sort of paranormal investigation at any point, like in a movie, they're probably the Warrens or based on the Warrens. Yeah. They're just like, whatever, the go-tos. As I mentioned before, they did like a seance in the house and they kind of... Even though I said before... That they started this idea that Butch was possessed during the shootings. They don't claim that he was possessed. It just kind of planted the seed with the lawyer for appeals going forward. Like so they kind of planted this seed, oh, here's your next <laughs> way to get him off the hook during that an appeal. He was possessed, he by, was possessed the devil. by the devil. So they actually claim that he was not possessed by the devil, but that um, the family, one of the reasons that they were Calm like that and didn't move during the shootings. Were that they were in a state of phantomania, in which you were um, basically paralyzed, paralyzed and unable to cry out for help. Lorraine claims that this being in that house was the closest she ever felt to being in hell. Um, but whatever you want to say about these people, nothing else ever happened in that house. Really? after the Lettses, is left. it still up? Yeah, yeah. Do people live there? I think people live there. People moved into the house afterwards and said nothing had happened.
1: I wouldn't move in there. You couldn't pay me to live there. I don't...
2: Yeah, I don't know.
1: Because even if it was... even We you don't you just want people
2: coming over all the time.
1: No, even if... <laughs> well, yes, that's true. But even if the house isn't haunted, just having that seed planted in my house would drive me nuts.
2: Well, if you're going to be creeped out by it, yeah. It's like it doesn't matter if it's true right. if you're going to be thinking about it. So anyways, no one who has lived in the house ever since the Lutzes has, has had, had anything any happen. Experience. So apparently they had the best sage. The lawyer, Weber, he was like, yeah, hell yeah, let's use this possession for appeals. It didn't work. He's also still trying to make money off of this story. So at this point, he contacts DeFeo and a man named uh, Hans Holzer, who is also like a very popular ghost hunter at the time. And I guess he might be one of the biggest ones. Who the hell knows? (laughs) I don't don't know who is big in that world. So he tries to hook them up because he wants Butch to really latch onto this possession story. So Hans is basically there to be like, let me find some things that can make that true. Like, what has happened before you were in that house that would lead to this happening? So his uh, theory basically is classic fucking horror movie theory that the house was built on an old Native American burial ground. He also theorized that the land in the 1700s had been an area where witchcraft was pr- was practiced. So he's coming up with all this fucking shit. There's no evidence right. of any of this, by the way. Uh, they're just basically trying to make some money. And like, here's an alternate view. Like, <laughs> you've heard this, but now what about this?
1: Well, and then we're going to get the ancient aliens guy. Yeah, and He's exactly. going to tell us. So he writes a book on this.
2: He has a TV documentary about this. He really nails home this possession thing uh, about... So, you know, obviously a criminal is like, great, I was fucking possessed. Sure, I'll do it. And he also, in this book, and this is something that Butch completely denies, this is the first time we hear the theory that Dawn and her brother had a sexual relationship. <gasps> in the book, he writes, Butch freely admitted that there had been a relationship between himself and his sister Dawn, despite them being brother and sister. Butch denies this. He has never said that this is true. And but in the no, book, it says that he In the book, it, it says. Now, obviously... Based on what I've just said, this book was the basis for Amity two, *Amityville 2, The Possession*, and we're going to talk about that now. So, all the things I've said—the Native American burial ground, the incest storyline—are big, sto- big parts of the movie. Right. Um, so let's get started on this movie. To me, this movie is far superior than *Amityville* one, just because, first of all, there's like a real storyline happening. Yeah. <laughs> because it's there's a lot of paranormal stuff going on. But there's the storyline of the abusive dad, the, the murder of the siblings. And then like the second half of the movie is basically a priest and Butch kind of hashing out what had happened because they really go on the possession. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's basically like Reagan from The Exorcist in most of this movie, right? Like when he goes into this possessed state.
1: This movie is so absurd because it wants to be like three or four different movies in one movie. Like the first part of the movie is this abusive shit family. And then like the second part of the movie is this haunted house. And the third part of the movie is like this exorcism. And then the fourth part of the movie is this courtroom drama. Yeah. It's a whole mess. And I love every minute of it.
2: It's so good in like a bad movie way. Cause it keeps you entertained.
1: <laughs> I was laughing my ass off. I
2: mean, it's funny. And uh, to say it, like, I mean, it's a murder movie <laughs> where a horrible murder happens, but it's, but it's so absurd. Cause he, when he murders them, he's actually like, Looks like Reagan from The Exorcist. He, right, he has bulging like things in his hands, like contact lenses. Weird, yeah. So he looks like a demon. Like
1: <laughs> my favorite thing about the movie is how the dad, I guess the Ron Ronald Senior mm-hmm. portrayal, but in the movie they're called the Montellis, I yes, think they have a different Italian so name. So that the patriarch of the family he's played by Burt Young of Rocky fame right and he sticks out like a sore thumb in this family like (laughs) he has the most Brooklyn Italian-American accent I've ever heard in my life like it is just the most cliche over-the-top accent and the family's just sort of like they all talk like this like they're all just like have these little whatever like no one else has an accent and he's like Who's making fucking noise in the <laughs> kitchen? Who's making noise?
2: I mean, literally the first scene of them pulling up into the house, he's abusive. Mm-hmm. It was like insane to me. But it,
1: well, There was nothing about it that was like threatening because he was so, it was so unrealistic. It was, unrealistic. Cartoonish, it was yeah. so cartoonish and so like unrealistic to life. Like, I mean, it was horrifying the stuff that he was happening. Yeah. But it was like, who, who wrote this?
2: <sighs> okay. Let's talk about the incest scene. <laughs> It's very, this is like the flowers in the attic. I mean, it is an insane, it is, when I, I knew that this movie had a famous incest scene in it. I did see this movie a really long time ago, but I had forgotten that Mm -hmm. aspect of it. But it's, it's not just suggested at. Oh no. There's like a whole sex scene. It's worse than flowers in the attic. Almost. Yeah. And it even includes, like, a model. Model for me, Dawn. Hey, that's like Dawn Davenport. Oh, oh my God. God. It's oh all coming God. full circle. It's
1: so uncomfortable. Probably the most... And I've watched a lot of uncomfortable movies, but this was the most uncomfortable I think I've ever been Because
2: watching. she looks like she's 15. Or she
1: looks like she's 15.
2: The she gets basically nude. Like, you can see yes. her tit. Like, a half of a tit you or something. You
1: see a tit in the movie. Yeah. The thing that drives me nuts is, like... the. The whole point of the incest in the movie is to suggest that, like, oh, he was possessed by the devil, so therefore he preyed upon his sister because he was possessed by the devil. But he was, like, hitting on his sister way before any of the, like, possession happened. They had a weird... Go back and watch the movie. They right. are so uncomfortably flirty with each other. Yeah, because from- there's that
2: whole scene early on where they're like, oh, come on, you don't hate me. Like, right. and it's sort of, like, a little well, bit playful. what kind of girls do you like? Do you yeah. like
1: big tits? yeah. It was fucking gross. It is I gross. I was horrifying. Also,
2: it's... To me, like... And believe me, I'm never like, oh, I don't need incest in my movies. <laughs> like, but I found it to be completely unnecessary. It was unnecessary. I don't need... I didn't need the incest to know that he was bad or having some things happening. Like...
1: It was so unnecessary because... The only thing I can think is that
2: they wanted her to confess to the priest to get him more involved again because he kind of bails on them. And then when she confesses to him what had happened...
1: But she doesn't even confess that to him. All right. she says is that she had sex with a friend.
2: But he kind of becomes suspicious that something's happening, I well, think, he, at that he, point.
1: Yeah, he looks at her as she goes out the... Yeah. Wait, Don. He's like, wait, who is that? I mean, her name isn't Don in the movie, but...
2: Yeah, so I, I like the movie. I mean, it drew me in. It's cheesy as hell.
1: The Um, mom was a terrible actress, like so unbelievably bad.
2: The acting is not great all around. The other thing I'm going to say, and this is a pet peeve of mine in these type of movies, I don't get, maybe it's just me, I don't get why the priest cares that much about defeating the devil. (laughs) (laughs) What? I'm always kind of like, you're going to let it go into, they're always like, take me, take me. And I was like, well, don't we need you more than we need that person? (laughs) if there's more devils like isn't it like putting the oxygen on yourself first? because it's like we need a priest to get more devils right if it's real and you're like take me let's leave this idiot who killed his whole family (laughs) like come on like it doesn't make any sense there's always a scene like that in this movie though where the priest is just like and then he gets possessed and his arm is thumping with like something growing
1: like the thing that's crazy about this movie is that the possession is the most believable part about it Everything yeah. else about it is, like, very unbelievable. Like, the fact that they were able to sneak him out of the hospital. Yeah. And then he's, like...
2: I know, no one... I was, like, you guys have a mass murderer here. Right. And you're just, like,
1: eh. Like, he's not handcuffed to the bed no, or anything. No, there's nothing. Oh, it's but it's a good movie. I
2: recommend it if you're in for, like, a cheesy, fun movie night. Yeah. It was good. Totally. So I'm just going to go I have a few more things. Through the years, over a 100 factual errors have been pointed out in the book. <laughs> I'm just going to hit a few of them. One of the biggest ones is the priest who supposedly came to the Letts's house to um, sage it or whatever it's called with a little ball. Please don't at me. <laughs> Come on. He claims that he, he kind of confirmed the story initially, but then in an affidavit, so when it really mattered that right. he was under oath, he claims that he never even visited the house, that he just kind of talked them through it on the phone. The whole Native American burial ground is also bullshit someone actually talked to the Shinnecock tribe which is the the tribe that lives in that area and the ones they claimed was the burial ground they refuted the claims of that and the chief of that tribe at the time actually said even if we were even if it was our burial ground we're not the types who would possess people <laughs> to like for payback like yeah. basically saying even if that was true we're not going to like kill a family the demonic pig Jody that ended up actually being, and this is an insane detail to me. That ended up being a neighborhood cat that Butch <laughs> called the pig. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know if this is true, but I had to include it. And that the pig would also, would, <laughs> the cat would sit on a tree branch and look into the window. So they claiming that that wasn't uh, a pig. It was actually this fat cat. And that so was I'm a Persian Kat's cat. Eyes
1: glow. Yeah, probably. Well, well I mean, a lot I, of, <laughs> look, I've called my cat a pig before. Right, come on. It's, it's allowed.
2: The hoof prints in the snow thing, they looked it up, and there was no snow the day that he claims that that happened. And there was a lot of architectural reasons for things, like certain windows sliding. Like, they tested it out, and they could, like, stomp the floor, and the window would shut down. So there was, like, little stupid things. Right. The people who lived in the house afterwards, they also claimed that when they moved into the house... All of the hardware and things that the Lutzes said had been like flying off the hinges and da da da. They claimed that there was no damage to the house that the Lettsa said. In fact, everything looked still old, like right. it hadn't been replaced by new stuff. All the things had like a patina of being there forever. Mm-hmm. So they kind of puts a hole into that stuff too. There's one more thing um, I'm gonna mention. There's like a famous creepy photo that the Warrens supposedly took in the house. And if you look up Amityville photo, it'll pop up. It's like the first thing. And it's like the head of a little boy that's like looking out one of the upstairs bedroom. I guess they had set up one of their ghost cameras that takes a picture like every 30 seconds or something. Yeah. And like many years after, their secretary was just going through the Amityville file and looking at the photos. And she found this photo where a little boy's head with glowing eyes uh. is looking out a door of the upstairs, one of the upstairs bedrooms. So that, of course, also is not real. It isn't? Um, it's, it's believed to be one of their assistants who was there. And his name is actually... Paul Blart, <laughs> you're
1: fucking shitting no, me. No, not
2: shitting you. And supposedly, there's also rumors that his nephew had visited the house at some point, so it could be him. But if you look at like what he was wearing that day, like it could be him. So in it's an, an interview, actual person. It's not a ghost. Yeah. yeah. So in an interview after the fact, he kind of like hedged on it, like, hey, like, look, if people enjoy the story, I'm not here to shit all over it, right? Kind of deal. So he kind of didn't really refute it, but didn't really whatever. Yeah. So. The Lutzes basically kept that this story was mostly true uh, until they died. Um, she died in 2004, he died in 2006, and they were diva- uh, sorry divorced in the late 80s, but maintained like a good relationship, I guess. A quote from him, George Lutz, I believe that this has stayed alive for 25 years because it's a true story. It doesn't mean that everything that has ever been said about it is true. It's certainly not a hoax. It's real easy to call something a hoax. I wish it was. It's not. So,
1: so they're saying some of the shit we said is bullshit.
2: I don't know quite what his point was. Like other people have made up shit, but what we said was real. Like because they they never admitted to anything, uh, not being true. Right. You should really go check out DeFeo's interviews on YouTube. There's a lot of uh, stuff on YouTube you can watch on this um, case that I find to be kind of interesting. Yeah. One of the most sort of helpful websites. Was called AmityvilleMurders.com, and they have a lot of pictures and just like tons more information. Yeah, Um, there's all this stuff with his supposed wife too, named Geraldine, that I just didn't even get into because it was so long and convoluted. This controversy. Well, that's sort of the controversy because he claims he got married while he was while while the murders happened, like that he was not there. He was actually with his wife, Geraldine. I mean, it's this whole thing. I was just like, you know what? Fuck you, Butch. Like, I'm not getting into the right, wife we're thing. Done. And we're there's done. interviews with her too in some documentary that came out in 2011, I think. So whatever. I mean, there's just so many people in this case yeah. that are just trying to make money off of it at That's this a point. Big story. So that is everything. That was a lot. Woo. Sorry.
1: No, don't be sorry. <laughs> that was amazing.
2: So, yeah. That's that. Okay. I mean, we didn't get to our, we're going to pick out our winner this week for the um, book, I mean, the podcast review. So if yeah. you haven't, we have another book for next month. Go write a review.
1: Yeah. And Leave t- us five
2: stars. If you don't feel like writing a book, that really helps us out a lot. Um,
1: check out the Facebook group. Right. I already have an idea of the one that was my favorite.
2: Oh, good. So I did look. There's a lot of good ones. Yeah. So yeah, that will be great. We'll talk
1: about it. We'll decide this week. Okay, and cool. All right. Okay. Thank you guys. Bye. Bye.